And uh, we're going to move on. It's encouraging that God has been working already this morning and speaking to people. And uh, we're believing that that will continue as we preach through his word, or as I preach through his word. And uh, hopefully God will speak to us as we receive it. We've begun a series uh, a few weeks ago now um, when I've been preaching and I'm going to be actually taking the majority of the preaching in this certainly in the next month or so. Um, we've begun a series on who we are as a church and uh, tying in with some of the things that Gary was talking about. We called it This Is Us and uh, someone was telling me earlier they, they wondered what us was. They said I kept saying this is us. Um, it's just the way it's the Queen's English and uh, <laughs> us. Queen, this is us. Um, this is us. It's got nothing to do with the TV show of the same name. Uh, so if you want to catch up on previous messages, then do go to our website. Uh, don't go to CTV's website. Uh, you'll be catching up on a different This Is Us. And it's good. It's a good show, but it's not the same. Um, <laughs> so far, we've looked at the importance of building church on the, uh, on the foundation of apostles and prophets, uh, those people who God wants to build on. It's God's church. He builds on who he wants to build on. Last time we looked at how the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, is the place where God's presence is now manifest as he works and moves through our worship and our word and in our witness uh, to the world as well. And today, as uh, Joel said, I want to move on to looking at a key value on which we build, and that is the grace of God. The dictionary definition of the grace and God, grace of grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifest in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Don't you love how dictionaries have a way of putting things? Um, let me explain what that means. In other words, grace speaks of everything that we receive from God, whether it's our salvation for the forgiveness of our sins and then going on to being adopted into God's family and the Holy Spirit, which he pours into our hearts and into our lives and the spiritual gifts that he gives to us. All of this comes entirely free of charge and regardless of whether we deserve it or not. That's why it's unmerited. We don't deserve it. And it's free. It's free of charge. In fact, the Bible tells us none of us deserve this favor. We can't do anything to pay for it. This grace of God, the, the things that God gives us in our lives, none of us deserve it. And we can't do anything to pay for it. In fact, one of the first things we need to understand about the gospel is that it's not at all about what we can do. What we can do, how good a life we live. It's about what God has done and what can do. Recently, we had, uh, many of you will know, we had a guy called Paul Coleman, who's a musician, uh, and he came and played a concert for us a few weeks back at our building down on, on Brunswick Street, and uh, he used to be in the Newsboys. And he came last October also, and during that time when he came last October, uh, he met uh, me and, uh, and he met my son, Josh. And Josh played some of the songs that he'd written uh, to him, and Paul was super encouraging about that. And uh, at the time, Josh had a Toby Mac t-shirt on. Josh is a big Toby Mac fan. And Paul said to him, well, you should come to a concert. You should actually come to a festival in New Hampshire next uh, August 
Toby's going to be headlining there. You'll get the opportunity to meet him if you go along to that. Now, the festival, I looked into it, it was pretty expensive to get into. Uh, and once you got there, uh, the tickets to meet Toby, because you could get these um, backstage passes, or, 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 um, via, meet, meet the artist passes, whatever they called it, um, they were $75 each. So I'm like, and US dollars as well. And so I'm thinking, oh, I, you know, I really don't think we're going to be able to go to that. But Paul said, look, don't worry about it. I will sort it all out. I will make sure that all happens and that you get in. So off we went in, in August. And when we got there to the festival gates, people were paying for their wristbands. And, uh, and they were paying all their money worth several hundred dollars each. And Paul wasn't there. So... We gave our name in, and we were thinking, well, hopefully, it's all going to be okay. But we gave our name, and the, and the stewards went away, and they went to check, and the, they looked, and they were like, oh, and they came back and said, yep, that's all great. And they gave us a, a weekend pass, even though we actually weren't even going to be there for the full weekend. They gave us the weekend pass and said, in you come. And we had a great time. And then it got to the time when people were meeting Toby Mac, and uh, people who paid the $75 were lining up this huge line going right back to out of the venue uh, where they were going to be meeting him and people waiting for hours. But Paul said, oh, don't bother lining up. You don't want to line up there. Uh, come and meet me uh, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll organize it for, for you. So we just hung out with Paul around the back of the venue and chatted and had a, had a drink. And then he took us in through a back entrance and we got to meet Toby Mac and had our pictures taken. So there we are. There's, uh, I was getting in on it too. <laughs> he didn't seem to like me as much. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite as cool. That's very true. So there we go. Um, we got to meet Toby and have our, our pictures taken. And the next day, um, we met up with Paul again. And uh, it was a pretty hot day. And so Paul said, oh, look, let's just go and sit in the artist lounge. He said, uh, they've got air conditioning in there. Um, so he took us through all the security. And uh, we sat in a very cool room with drinks. Uh, there was air conditioning and fans going on. And we were chatting to him. And we were chatting to some of the other artists that were there. And at one point, Josh said to me, as we were walking through this security guard, he had the rope and everything and had to put it down. And we were walking through there. And Josh said, well, how, how can we get to do this? You know, isn't this wrong? Because we, we've not paid and we've not got the, the, the pass. You know, how come, we, how come we didn't have to line up like everyone else? How come we didn't have to pay? How come we got to see Toby Mac without paying? Why are we going into this backstage area? Um, and I said, well, it's because we know Paul. We know Paul and, and he can get us into all these areas for free. And that's what grace is. It's free. It's undeserved. We didn't deserve anything. We weren't good enough. Uh, we weren't a musician to be able to get into the backstage. We weren't a friend of Toby's uh, particularly, but Paul we were friends with, and Paul was a friend of Toby's, and so Paul made a way for us to be able to get in to see and meet uh, Toby Mac. It's grace. Unmerited, undeserved. We hadn't paid, but we knew someone who had. That's how it is with God. The Bible says none of us deserves to know God. It says we were all opposed to him. We were all wanting to go our own way. Romans chapter 3 and verses 9 to 12 says, for we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, in other words, everyone, 
are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Paul's pretty clear in what he's saying. No one deserves it. No one's seeking God. Everyone's turning away. In other words, however good we think we are, however nice we've been to people, holding doors open them, open for them, however uh, by creators or runs we've done for charity, we've done nothing good enough to deserve a relationship with God. Because in our hearts, we actually want to go our own way rather than his way. And there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves better, to make ourselves acceptable to a holy God. Because God sees in our hearts and he doesn't just look at what's on the outside. He doesn't look at the, at the externals, at the face that we want to present to the rest of the world. He sees inside our hearts. But then Paul says, there's good news. He says there's a righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, to all who believe. And it goes on and says, we are justified, made right freely by his grace. This righteousness is given to everyone who believes. It's not about what we do. It's about what we believe in the same way that we had to go to the concert and we had to line up and, and go and trust that Paul was going to keep his word because he wasn't there at that point. We had to trust, has he, has he kept his word? Do we believe it? Otherwise, we've made this whole journey for nothing. We've driven to New Hampshire and we can't afford to get in and we're going to just get turned away at the gate. It comes through faith in Jesus for all who believe. And then the Bible goes on and tells us about all the other blessings that we receive, also by grace. How God gives us peace and joy, how he adopts us in his family and gifts and sets us free from things which bind us and all the bondage. And we don't deserve any of it. And sometimes it just seems wrong. Like to Josh, doesn't, this seems wrong. Surely we can't do this. Yet we can because it's on offer if we receive it. If we receive it. And when we do that, the Bible tells us that we are justified, which means it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, that's a good way of remembering it. We have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, since it's just as if we've never sinned through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. We get access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We gain access by faith and then we have peace with God. How many people are looking for peace in their life? Many, many people looking for peace in their life. Peace with God. Hope for the future. Hope of knowing the glory of God. Not just in this life, but into eternity after we die. Wonderful. Wonderful. But what happens then? What happens after that? When we receive, when we gain access by grace and faith and we stand there, what happens then? Well, after that, we come into a living relationship with him. And Paul describes 
what that living relationship is like. He says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, that's Jesus, uh, sorry, that's Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man? That one's Jesus, Jesus Christ. We reign in life. We've got to reign in life. The Bible tells us those who know Jesus are reigning in life. All right, so I wonder, how many of us here today feel we are reigning in life? I wonder. Probably there's a good number of us who don't feel that. We think, actually, Paul says that, but reigning in life? Many of us don't. And let me explain why that might be. Because the Bible also talks about why that might be. Whilst we might have accepted that we're forgiven freely by God, we might have accepted it's all by grace, it's all undeserved, we can't do anything. Once we know that, once we are saved, we might say, once we know God's forgiveness, we can quickly go back to operating and evaluating ourselves on the basis of how well we follow God's laws or God's rules. We can start to think, how, much, how well do I measure up? And we end up setting ourselves targets that we have to live by. And it can happen from the very moment that we receive Christ into our lives. And, I, and even I've been to meetings where people have explicitly preached this. So what can happen is something like this. We come to a meeting and we, and we understand for the first time, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about even that in a moment. It's about what he's done. So now I'm, I'm good. I'm good before God. It's just as if I never sinned. Wonderful. I can come freely. It's all about him. None of it's about me. And we can tell someone that. And we can say, do you know what? I've come to understand this. I feel so great. I feel so free. And they say, wonderful. That's great. Do you know what? Now that you've received that, just you really should make sure that you're at the meeting every Sunday because you'll get to learn more about God. So just make sure you're at the church meeting every Sunday. And uh, do you know what? We've got some life groups on, on midweeks. You should sign up for one of those. Oh, okay. That, well, that'd, that'd be great. I'd love to learn more about God. Uh, yeah, and, and go along to Gary's foundation course. There's probably a life group on a Wednesday that you can go to. And then Gary's going to run the foundations course on a Thursday. So that would be uh, great. You should do that. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then, uh, and then you should come to the prayer meeting every two weeks um, on, a, on a Sunday evening. So come along to that too. Uh, because you should pray, you know. Oh, okay, that's right. And if you can make it out in lunch hour at noon on Wednesdays, there's another one there. So come along to that too. Right, okay. Um, yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And, and you should read your Bible. Here's a Bible. I'll give you a Bible, in fact. Here's your Bible. You should read it every day. You should read it for maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes a day would be good. Try and read it all in a year. That would be amazing. Just, you should read it all in a year. And then you've got it all done. Okay, great. And, and I read some, that might take me 20 minutes. Yeah, that's great. And then, um, and then maybe spend some time on your own praying as well. Um, maybe, try and do an hour. Why don't you do an hour? Do an hour a, a, a day because Jesus said to his disciples, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? So uh, why don't you do that? Um, oh, right. Okay. 
Gosh, so, okay. so I've got my Bible, and I, I, let me just get in all these meetings in my schedule. Thursday, Thursday evenings, Wednesday life group, yeah, I'll go along to that one. And uh, right, yeah, this, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, any, anything else? Well, yep, yep, you should give some money to the church, really, now. Um, the, the, the Bible talks about tithing. I think it's the Old Testament somewhere, tithing. Oh, yeah, well, what's that? Well, that's 10%. 10%? 10% of my, yeah, you should give 10% of your money. Right, ooh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess if that's what God's, God's saying. Any, anything else? Yeah, I, yeah, that music I heard you listening to yesterday, that's really not going to be good for you. You should stop me. You should get rid of all of that. Yeah, maybe just cancel your subscription to Apple Music in total. There's, there's probably some Christian one equivalent. You should, you should just listen to that. Oh, all right, yeah. And, and these clothes that you're wearing, really, they're not very suitable for church. You should, ch- you should change that as well. And you see what starts to happen? People start, oh, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And the joy that they were feeling suddenly becomes, oh, oh. And it's a bit of a, a burden, to them. And then right from the start, it's like, well, I've been saved freely, but now it seems as though it's all these things that I've got to do. It's all these things that I've got to do. And, it's, and it, it can feel like it's being dumped on you. And we can feel like failures. We can feel as though, well, we're not reigning in life because, we, you know, all of these things, there's two things going on. Sometimes people, if they tell you what to do, you don't want to do them anyway. And, and a lot of us can think, well, well this, this just seems a lot. It seems impossible. I try, but then I can't even do it. I'll try and pray, but then my mind is thinking about other things. I'll start to pray, and I think, I'm going to pray for an hour, and I'm praying for these things, and then, and then I'm thinking about, well, well what? what am I going to get for, for my supper? And do I, oh yeah, I forgot to tell that person. I forgot to go and get that. I should go to the store. And then we suddenly realize, oh, I'm not praying. Oh, I was trying to pray. Oh, and then you can start to get tired because you, you're praying first thing in the morning. You set your alarm to get up early and then you just fall back asleep and you're like, oh, I'm no better than the disciples. They couldn't stay awake either. And neither can I. And we can get into all of this stuff and we can get back under law. This happened to the church in Galatia too. Paul wrote a letter to them, the letter of the Galatians, because they started to believe that they had to do other things to just stay as a Christian. If you're a Christian, these are the other things that you've got to do. And Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by doing all this stuff, or by believing what you heard? You just believed it. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh. That's exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about them starting off by just believing in Jesus and, and his forgiveness and the freedom that comes from that. And, he, and they were then going on to thinking, well, they've got to do certain things. And those things for them included circumcision, by the way. So you might think you get off lightly by reading the Bible for 20 minutes. But it, it's, just, it's just a return... It's just to return to legalism and we lose all our joy. And we find that we're anxious about, are we meeting the standard? Even though we, when we came to know Christ, it was entirely on the basis that we couldn't meet the standard. God doesn't want us to live by law. 
And in our context, for the Jews, it meant the Old Testament law. For the Gentiles, it meant God's rules. And sometimes they try to put the Old Testament law on. For us, it could mean any of these things. It could be about what we wear or what we listen to or whether we smoke or not or whatever it is. And it's all these rules and laws. God doesn't want us to live by them. He doesn't want us to live under that. The Bible tells us that the law actually provokes sin. That, that doesn't mean the law is bad. The law is perfect. The law is good. But it provokes sin. It's great that it brings us to Christ. Without the law, without knowing what, what God says, without knowing something about God's holiness and, and, and his standards, which are so much higher than any of us could ever achieve, if we didn't know that, we could be living perfectly happily, doing our own things and heading to an eternity apart from God. So God brings his law to make us see we can't even attain this. This is way too high. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount even? And, and just thought, wow, that's impossible. Jesus says, oh, you know, you've heard people say don't, um, don't commit adultery. I'm saying if you even look at someone lustfully, then that's the same. And you're like, what? Why have you made the standard even higher, Jesus? That's what he does. All the way through. The, the, because really he's saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. The law isn't bad, it's good. But we've got to realize we can't, we can't meet God's standards. But then we hear that someone else, Jesus, has already done it. Someone else has already done it. He lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. And then he was crucified on a cross. And the Bible says he bore the punishment we deserve. And not only that, he takes our sin on himself. So it's like, it's like there's an exchange. He takes all of our sinfulness, everything we were going to be punished for, and he takes it and bears it on the cross. And then... Because he's lived a perfect life, he gives us his righteousness. The Bible says he clothes us in his righteousness. It's like, it's like Joe there. It's, imagine Joe has lived a perfect life. Come up, come up here, Joe. And he's, imagine he's lived a perfect life. I know it's hard to imagine. I've got to say, um, <laughs> he's lived a perfect life and he's clothed in his righteousness. Let's, let's say it's your jacket. Okay? And he takes on, Jesus takes on my sin, but then... He gives us his righteousness. So it's like he takes his jacket off. This is a good way of getting it from you. I like it. I like this, Joe. There you go. It's a good fit. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so now I'm clothed. So when I stand before God, he doesn't see my sinfulness because now I'm clothed in Jesus' righteousness. He looks at me as he looks at Jesus. So I know there's all this stuff that's still going on, all this stuff I'm still battling with, but it doesn't matter because I'm clothed in God. And Jesus lived a perfect life, and I know, and he did it for me. He took everything of mine, all my garbage, and he gave me his righteousness. And I'm clothed in that. That's the wonderful news. That's what we find out. That's what Sin does in us. I'm going to give it you back because it's a little hot. <laughs> but I'll take it later if you want. 
But then, but like I said, we, we, <laughs> we start to feel that, that we have to obey the law or just because we ought to. Someone's telling us and, and we don't want to. We don't want to. Romans 7 says, once I was alive apart from the law. In other words, I didn't know the law. So it was like, great, I can just do what I want. But when the commandment came, spring, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So when we told what we've got to do, we don't want to do it. Sin springs to life. So before people told us all of this stuff, oh, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. You should go to the prayer meeting. You should go to this meeting, read your Bible. We were fine. But when people tell us what to do, it's like we react and we don't want to do it. It's like the do not walk on the grass sign. You know that? You've no intention of walking on the grass until you see the sign saying don't walk on the grass. I went to, I went to a, a soccer stadium once and a soccer stadium tour. Sheffield Wednesday, which is my team. You'll never have heard of them. Um, but, but I went and got this tour of the stadium, and, there was, and they said, oh, you can stand by the side of the pitch, the, by the pitch, but don't go on the, you mustn't go on the grass. And I'm like, oh, I want to tell people I've been on the pitch. You know, it'll be great. So I waited until they'd all started to walk off to the next bit, and then I just went. <laughs> I stood on the grass, and then I was like. Because... <laughs> Now, if, if they hadn't have said, don't go on the grass, I probably wouldn't have even thought about it. But the commandment comes, sin springs to life. And you die. Oh, now I've messed it up. Now I've... And it's not just about walking on grass. It's all of these other things. We end up, as Christians, thinking, well, I know I'm saved. I know I know Jesus. But I just feel like I'm a failure. I feel there's all these things that I ought to do to be a good Christian, and I mess up on all of them. Didn't even, I didn't even think about telling other people about Jesus. That's the other thing people say. You should tell other people about Jesus. Oh, my word. There's that as well. So many things. And the problem is, we know these are good things. Like, it's not that we think oh, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Like, we know when someone tells us it would be good to read the Bible... Well, we know that's a good thing. We know it's good to pray. We know it's a good thing to, to go to the foundations. And it is a good thing to go to the foundations. I'm not anti-preaching against Gary's uh, <laughs> announcement. We know these things are good things. It's good to tell others about Jesus. But when we're told we have to, we don't want to. And then, and then we've got this unease that we're a failure. We never even thought about doing them before. We were quite happy. But now we feel we're letting God down in some way. So we either feel that we're letting God down or we do them. Some of us do them. Some of us just think, well, that's what I've been told I should do, so I'm going to do them. And we, and we do all these things, but we do it for a while because it's so hard to just keep doing because we're told that if that's the only reason we're doing it, we're told we ought to and it's just to keep up appearances and, and, and our friends will be disappointed in us or the leaders of the church will be disappointed in us or God's going to be disappointed in us if we don't. But our heart's not in it and then we end up in a place where we resent it. We, we, we just resent it. So, you know, if we come to the prayer meeting because we feel we're going to be disapproved of, when, there's not going to be a lot of joy there, is there? There's not going to be a lot of passionate praying. We'll be miserable. I, I sometimes see people at prayer meetings. I think, oh, well, it's great. You've made it out, but you don't, you don't really look as though you want to be here. 
And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. But if we go because, oh, we've got this love and this desire to talk to God, that's a different motivation. We're going to talk more about that next week. If we tell people about Jesus because we're passionate about him, then our enthusiasm is going to be infectious. But if we do it because someone's told us to, or we need to have a story to tell at the prayer meeting we've got to go to, it's going to just be a burden. Oh, the other thing we can end up doing is living the way we used to. We just, we just slip back into living the life we used to live. And for six days of the week, we just hide out and we just, uh, from, from Christians, and we live the way that we live the rest of the time, and then we just come to church on Sundays. Because we think, well, that'll be okay, and people will see me on a Sunday, and, it, and it's all fine. And, and, then, and we pretend. We pretend we're spiritual. We use spiritual language on a Sunday, language that we wouldn't even dream of using the rest of the week. You know, we talk, we talk differently. Oh, oh, bless you, brother, yes. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? You don't talk like that the rest of the week. You know, all this spiritual language that, well, what's it there for? It's just designed to make it look as though we're some sort of spiritual person all the time, but we're not. And our kids see it. Our kids think, whoo, who have mom and dad become on a Sunday? What's that about? I think I don't want any of that. It's a bit of a double life. Whichever way we choose, we don't feel like we're reigning in life. So Paul talks about this futile way of living in Galatians. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, so we destroyed the law, the way of the law, trying to keep the rules. If I rebuild it, then I, I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law. Why? So I might live for God. The law only shows us to be lawbreakers. He, we died so we might live for God. Well, what does that mean? What does Paul mean by that? He explains it in Romans by way of an illustration about marriage. And I'm going to put all of this up. We'll read through all of this, uh, this little passage. It's in Romans 7 and verse 1. And I'll read it from my Bible so I don't have to turn around and have my back to you. All right, so Paul says, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, a law, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds him to her. So, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband's alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law, and she's not an adulteress if she marries another man. So there's the example, you know, it's, it's pretty clear. If you're married to someone, it's, it's an ad adultery if you commit, if, if you sleep with someone else. But if, you, if that person's died, if your husband's died, then it's not adultery if you marry someone else. So, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That can be quite a complicated passage. Let me try and explain it to you. Paul is saying, it's like we are married to a man. So we, the church, or individuals in the church, we're married to a man. Let's call him Mr. Law. 
We are married to Mr. Law. And Mr. Law is a perfect husband in lots of ways. Mr. Law is a perfect husband because he never does anything wrong. He always does what is right. He's like amazing at everything. And uh, he never makes mistakes. And he, he keeps the standards. He's perfect. The Bible says the law is perfect. The law is good. The law is perfect. We're married to Mr. Law. He's always like that. We always make mistakes, though. We're always making mistakes. We're always messing things up. We're always not quite meeting the standard. And Mr. Law is very quick to point that out to us. He's a husband who's always saying, do you know what? You messed up there, didn't you? You didn't quite match up there. You should have done it this way. You should have done it that way. And we can't fault him because we know he's right. He's right. We, we did mess it up. We didn't meet the standards. We can't say, you're wrong. Let's lower your standards. No, he's, he's right. He's good. But we just can't attain to them. But it doesn't help us. He, Mr. Law never helps us by telling us that. My daughter Grace has just been doing some swimming lessons. And she, and she, said, oh, I'm, she said to me this Wednesday, she said, I'm really enjoying my swimming lessons this time. She said, I did some in, because uh, everyone's really encouraging to each other. She said, I did the same class back in summer. She said, and there were some boys in there. Every time I got something wrong, they'd point it out to me and tell me what I got wrong. And she said, it didn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help. It doesn't help when someone points out to us the things we get wrong all the time. But here we are. We're married to Mr. Law, and we can't leave him because we're married to him. We can't marry Christ. We can't get joined to Christ. I don't want to be married to Mr. Law anymore. I want to be joined to Christ. Well, we can't because we're married and, we're mar and we've got to be faithful to him as long as he's living. Otherwise, we're committing adultery. We can only marry one person. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the law will never die. The law will never die, he says in Mark, Matthew 5 and 18. So we're left in this terrible situation where we join to Mr. Law who makes us feel wretched and useless and makes us feel like a failure. And as long as he's alive, we can't marry someone else. And Jesus says he's going to live forever. So we're permanently married to this overbearing husband who's always fault-finding, won't lift a finger to help, and won't die. Ah! <laughs> and we try, and we just try our best, and we make resolutions at New Year or whenever. I'm going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible in a year this time. I'm going to start, and it gets to January the 15th, and we've, and we've already six days behind. And, and you're like, no, it just doesn't help. And sometimes we can even keep these things, but, but we know ourselves that we've not changed on the inside, and so we just live in despair. The good news is, Paul says, instead of waiting for Mr. Law to die, which isn't going to happen, we died. You died to the law through the body of Christ. We, the Bible tells us, are not only clothed in God's righteousness, but we're joined with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, it says, in some ways, we died with him. And when we died with him, we died to the law. We died to this way. We're not married to the law anymore. He's not going to die, but we died. We died with Christ. And we call on Jesus to save us, appealing to Christ who suffered on the cross, believing in his shed blood. We're freely justified. We're right before God. We're included in Christ. And there we are. We're free. He no longer has authority over us. We're free. We can, we can marry Christ if now. We can be joined to him. 
Because we're free from the law. In other words, Paul's saying, the law has no more authority over you. It's great to have my mom and dad here today. And they flew in from, uh, from England on Friday. And I uh, haven't seen them for two years uh, here. We saw them last year in England. And it was two years since they were here. And last time they were here, and I, uh, they came to church and I was preaching. And I happened to give an illustration uh, and, and started waxing lyrical about this teacher that I used to have um, called Mrs. Lister. And Mrs. Lister uh, was not, I, you know, I didn't enjoy having her as a teacher because she was always telling me the things that I got wrong. She was forever telling me, she'd say, take your hand, look, I'm doing it now. She'd always say, take your hands out of your pocket. Because I was always walking around, take your hands out of your pocket. Every time I saw it, take your hands out of your pocket. And she was always telling me to write differently because I'd write like this. And she said, no, no, you've got to do this. And she, and she was, you know, it was like, oh, so frustrating. Anyway, I gave this illustration about her. And, uh, and I went on for quite a long time. <laughs> and at the end, I just said, anyway, I said, she still strikes fear into me. She's probably dead now. Anyway, at the end of the message, my mom came to talk to me. And she said, uh, she said Mrs. Lister is not dead, you know. <laughs> she says, I see her at the superstore most weeks. I'm like, oh, my word. She's always asking after you. Oh, no. <laughs> she did. And uh, I was like, oh, my word. So j uh, last week, I, uh, I, I was emailing my mom and saying, we're really looking forward to seeing you coming. And uh, this is what the plans are uh, of what we're doing. It'd be great if you wanted to come to church with us again. And she replied and said, yeah, I'm, I, I'd love to come to church. She said, I'm looking forward to hearing Mrs. Lister part two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> now... So here's, here we are. Here's Mrs. Lister part two. There is a part two. Because um, I'm sure she's lovely, really. <laughs> and I really hope she doesn't listen to this message. But let's imagine, let's imagine I went back to England. And I went, I went, to, I went down with my mom and we went to Superstar. And there she is, Mrs. Lister at the Superstar. And, and, it, and as soon as she saw me, let's imagine probably won't do this. But let's imagine she says to me, Mark, take your hands out of your pockets. <laughs> I, I would imagine all those old feelings would come back. I would imagine I'd be like, oh, Mrs. Lister, oh, I'm doing wrong. Oh, I've got to take my hands out of my pockets. But the truth is, I don't have to. I might feel the same way as I did when I was at grade, grade five in school, when she was my teacher. But she's not my teacher anymore. She's not my teacher anymore. So she can say, take your hands out of your pockets, and I could go, no. <laughs> I don't have to. Because <laughs> I don't. Because she's not in authority over me. Now, as I said, I'm sure Mrs. Lister is not like that at all. I'm sure she's lovely. And please give her my love, Mum, when you see her. <laughs> but in the same way, we have died to the law. It doesn't have authority over us anymore. That's what the Bible says. Instead, we are joined to another. We're joined to him who was raised from the dead. We're joined to Christ. 
And we join to him in order that we may bear fruit for God. And there's fruit that comes out of that relationship. But that relationship, that marriage to Christ, is so different from our marriage to the law. Jesus is described as a life-imparting husband. He says, remain in me, in John, and I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll bear fruit for God by receiving from him. He's the vine. He gives the source of everything that we need and we will bear fruit. But apart from him, by trying and trying to keep the rules and live the right way, we will do nothing. Mr. Law only told us what we were doing wrong and brought condemnation. Jesus brings us all that we need for life and we receive it from the inside and we're given these gifts. So, in conclusion, what needs to change? How can we reign in life? What needs to change? Our thinking needs to change. Emma said it this morning in what she brought. She said God's wanting to change some things and, and she said, and I think a lot of it's got to do with our mind, our thinking. Our thinking needs to change. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Count or consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans. When my parents landed in Fredericton, the pilot will have said on Friday evening, uh, welcome to Fredericton, uh, the time is 7.30 p.m. That's what he said, that's when they landed. But if they'd have looked at their watches, Assuming they've, they've still got watches. Yeah, they don't. Not looking at their iPhones. If they're looking at their watches that had been on since, since England, their watches would have said 11.30 p.m. And they would probably feel as though it was 11.30 p.m. Oh, I'm feeling pretty tired. Feels like 11.30 p.m. Doesn't really seem as though it's 7.30. And my watch is telling me it's 11.30. So what are they going to do? What should they do? Should they just keep the pilot happy by pretending it's 7.30 p.m., but thinking full, full well, knowing full well from their watches and how they're feeling, it's really 11.30. This pilot, he's saying that. He's got it wrong. Let's just say, oh, yeah, great, 7.30. But, but, but really, we know it's 11.30. Should they do that? Or should they just try really hard to believe that it's 7.30? Okay, he's, well, no, it doesn't feel like it, and... Well, I'm just going to try really hard to believe. No. The reality is, in Fredericton, it, is, it was 7.30. It's four hours behind England. So it is 7.30. So what do they do? They change their watches. They change their watches and they line up with Canada. When they were in the UK... It would have been 11.30. That's where they were living. But now they're not living there for now. They're living in Canada now for however long they're here. But some of us move permanently. <laughs> and, they're, and they're here and it's, and it's 7.30. So you change your watch. You know, we moved five years ago. My watch says 11.45. It doesn't say 3.45. <laughs> Because we've changed place. We're living somewhere different. So they change their watches and they line up with Canada and they go to bed at 10 p.m. They don't think, 
Oh, it's 2 p.m. Why Similarly, we're now in Christ. We're dead to sin. We're living in a different location. So we change our thinking. Like you'd move, change your watch, we change our thinking. We've moved from Adam to Christ. And we shift. We count ourselves dead to sin. We say we're dead to sin. Some people say, oh, I'm a sinner, really. No, Paul says, don't say that. You're a saint. You're in Christ. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. So tell yourself that. Don't just fool yourself. Don't just go, oh, not really, though. You are. As Christians, we need to know that. We need to know we're standing in grace. We don't have to prove ourselves to God anymore. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone else. There's no standards we have to keep because we're accepted by God on the basis of what Christ did, not on what we do. It's wonderfully freeing. We can reign in life. We're actually free to say no to all of those things that people would lay on us. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should, you should give. You should tell others about Jesus. You should dress this way. You should listen to this. We are very free to say, I don't have to. I don't have to. I'm accepted by God whether I do it or not. Now that, people would say, is a very dangerous place to be. Some people get really nervous about that. What are you saying? You're saying you can just live how you want? They'd say, well, that encourages people to live just how they want to live. They just know they're accepted by God, and you can do, what, do whatever you like, and, and because of what Jesus has done, what, you, you're going to be accepted by God, you're going to have eternity with him, and you can do whatever you want after that. And the answer is, well, actually, yes. Yeah. That is what the Bible says. Now, it asks a good question. It's Romans 6, verse 1, says, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's the obvious question to ask. But I'm not going to answer it this week. Why am I not going to answer it? Because it's 11.50 and some of us want some lunch. <laughs> and this is us always ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> that, those aren't the real reasons. The, reasons, <laughs> the reason I'm not going to answer that question this week is because it's so important that we get hold of this first part. It's so important that we get hold of the important truth about God's grace. That we stand and we don't have to measure up. We don't have to live our lives in this way. We don't have to be under these heavy burdens. We can be free. And if we don't get that, it, it, and we move straight on, it gets muddied. So next week, we will look at how God's grace causes us to live. So come back for that. You don't have to. <laughs> but, but let's get hold of God's grace. All right, the band can come back up. Let's, let's pray. We're just going to... Worship with one side. I'm going to hand it over to Joe and, uh, and Joel. Because it may be that just before we go, God's, God's wanting to do other things. Father God, we...